Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Jason gave an introduction for what our new series is. Together. Why do we gather together? Why do we do what we do when we gather together? And this morning, I want to answer, I hope is the most basic function of all of these questions is why together? Why do we even do it together? You and I were saved individually, weren't we? Just because kids, just because mom and dad have been saved by the grace of God doesn't automatically mean that you are saved by the grace of God. Uh, we believe that only those who repent and call in the name of Jesus are saved. So if we've been saved individually, what does it matter if we gather together at all? So I hope to answer that this morning. He mentioned some of the other things. You know, why do we pray when we get together as a church? Why do we, why do you, why do you spend 40 minutes of your time here listening to some guy get up here and, and talk? Why do we do that? Why do we preach? Why do we read scripture together out loud? Why do we sing? We're going to try to answer these questions and I get it. Some of you have been believers for a long, long time. Some of you guys have been members of Ramsey Creek for a long, long time. And you, you might be thinking, I know all of this. Well, I hope that by studying scripture and seeing how and why we get together and do the things we do, it'll inform the way that we worship on Sundays and individually as well. A little bit of background on why we decided on this is we were having an elders meeting and we we're talking about giving and, you know, I think actually, interestingly enough, we were talking about um, possibly utilizing an app to allow you guys to give through your phones financially, that sort of a thing, and kind of the basis of why would we do that. And we, we really got into a good discussion about doing that as a family. Um, we bring our offering to the Lord. Our kids see us when when, when we just push a couple buttons on the phone and put it away, you don't know what we're doing. But when they see us write a check or get our money out and we put it in the plate, it, it just means something different. It, it communicates something to our kids, to our families, to our church body. And so we want to make sure we are communicating the right things. You've heard it said, and maybe thought this to yourself, churches just want your money. It's a, it's a sad and unfortunate and really a, a pretty frustrating reality that there are men and women on TV, there are men and women not on TV, that line their pockets with the genuine and heartfelt gifts of people who are in need, who are hurting. That's, that's a reality. Um, they deceive, they manipulate people in order to get something, which in reality is antithetical to the true gospel. Right? That's the opposite of what the gospel gives. The gospel imparts life and peace and truth. It doesn't take things. It doesn't swindle you. And it's to these people's own shame that they do this, I believe. And they're going to be judged accordingly one day by the one who judges perfectly. But the Bible does tell us how we should give, and why we should give. And it's never intended to increase any person's wealth or status. But isn't the notion 
if you think through this a little bit, isn't the notion, well, churches just want your money, isn't that kind of reinforced every time we take up an offering on Sunday morning? I think if we misunderstand why we give, we could think that. There could be that misunderstanding. It might be easy to see it that way. And so out of that conversation came this idea, well, why don't we teach, why don't we explain why we do the things that we do? So that way, we all know, we're all on the same page, we're all united as we go forward. I'm not going to talk about the money aspect anymore because Caleb Brown is going to kind of unpack why we give later on in this series in the month of August. But I do hope that we can clarify why we do the things that we do. I I think that if you're not convinced that you should even be a part of Ramsey Creek or any local church, If you're not convinced of that, then answering the questions of why we do these other things don't really matter because you aren't dedicated to be here to know or to even maybe care. And I feel like I need to be careful here. I'll just say this at the onset too. Um, I think there might be a tendency of some people, maybe none of you, but some people just to say, well, of course the pastor is going to tell you to be at church every Sunday, right? Because we pay his salary. And he's supposed, if, if no one came to the church, then he wouldn't have a job. I'd be preaching to no one. In reality, that's a fairly accurate statement. If you all weren't here, then I wouldn't be here. But I'm called to preach to a group of people, to a church body, not to a building. So if you aren't here, I'll be where you are. And I hope we'll be with one another wherever that will be. I also want to be clear on this too. Whether you're already a member of Ramsey Creek or not, if you are a believer, you're already part of the church. You already are. Because the church is the bride of Christ. So I'm just going to kind of lay my cards out on the table here this morning and, and just tell you what I want to happen today. Here's my goal for the day. I want to expose in you your need for the local church. I want scripture to reveal this, to help expose our need, my need for you and your need for me and our need for one another because it's there. I want us to come away today with an understanding of why we gather together on the Lord's day. Why do we do this? What does it matter? If I call myself a Christian and you call yourself a Christian, then in reality, We shouldn't be thinking of our own preferences and feelings when it comes to how we do church, should we? What do we go on? We go on the Word of God. Now, there's any number of texts, scriptural texts that we could go to to talk about this sort of thing. We'll look at one from Hebrews chapter 10 next week, but today we're in Ephesians chapter 2. So we want to get in and read that text together. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 17 through 22. Just in a a short background, this is the unification of Jews and Gentiles. Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus and communicating to them, you are one in Christ. Okay, that's the background. Verse 17, and he came, speaking of Jesus, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word. Lord, this is your word. We believe that. We, we collectively confess that your word, every, every bit of it, is inspired of you, of you and is uh, useful in our lives towards maturity as a Christian. And so I pray that as we have read and as we continue to speak on this today, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred for one another. In your name, amen. So just kind of glance back through that text. I want to emphasize something here. You've heard me say before that you've been saved by grace through faith for action. And that's still true. But I'm going to amend that a little bit. I think that we can say that you've been saved by grace through faith into a family for action. Okay? You were not saved. I was not saved to be a Lone Ranger Christian on a spiritual island, you know, just me and God or in isolation from other people. You and I, you were saved out of your sin and into a family. That's the first thing I want us to see today. That if you are a Christian, you've been saved out of your sin and into something. It's just like um, the concept in Scripture. We're being called to turn our eyes away from ourselves, from our own sin, from the from the the, the destructive pattern that we're in. It's not just away from the sin. We're called to turn our eyes towards something different, towards God Himself. So it's the same way in a church. We've been called out of our sin and into something else. Out of our sin, into a family. Look, scan back on those verses that we read, 17 through 22. Notice the terms that Paul uses about your identity as a believer. If you're a Christian, if you believe that God has saved you from your sin and you've repented and trusted in him, then this is describing you. Look at just some of these words. No longer strangers or foreigners. You belong. Maybe that's exactly the thing you need to hear this morning. You belong. You're part of something. You're loved. You are needed. Look at the next thing. Fellow citizens with the saints. That's other believers here and who have passed on. So we're no longer strangers. We're fellow citizens. Next thing is we're members of the household of God. These are familial, family kind of terms that Paul is using here. Keep going. We are joined together as part of a holy temple whose cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We're being built together in verse 22 into Jesus, into a dwelling place for God and the Holy Spirit. This is a together thing, not an individual, not an isolated thing. It's together. Now it is, I hear this sometimes, especially around 
around deer season. Um, well, I can go out in the woods and I can see God in nature. That is 100% true. That is absolutely true. In fact, Romans 1, Paul tells us it should be that way, right? In chapter 1, verse 20, he says that God should be recognized in the things that are created, in the created things, the things that have been made. That is a good thing, and they're visible to everybody all over the earth. We can look outside and evaluate trees and grass and animals, and we can say, man, there is a creator God who deserves praise. That's true. So that's absolutely true that you can go out and you can see all of these things and they should, I believe, make us feel closer to God. But, you knew there was a but coming here. Um, God never intended for the woods to replace the church. Okay? God never intended for the lake to replace the body of Christ. God never intended for the backyard to take the place of the congregation. Okay? Those things that he's created are good and they absolutely should bring our just busy and frantic schedule to a grinding halt. When you see a, a sunset like we've had the last couple of nights, you just, I mean, you just have to breathe in deeply and say, man, thank you, God. Because it is just magnificent. I think... On the, on the evening of the 4th, the sunset might have been better than any fireworks you could have seen. It was incredible. And we should see that, and we should say, God, thank you. And we should feel close to him. Brothers and sisters, that is not to replace joining together with brothers and sisters on the day of worship. What I mean by that is this. God doesn't design Christians to function outside of his body. Or I'll flip it to the positive. This is the next blank in your notes. God always designed Christians to participate in the life of the church. Always. Because Christians are the church. Right? You are the church. I'm afraid that there seems to be a majority view amongst American Christians that church is just one more thing that we have to juggle. That we get to juggle. Can anybody juggle? Show of hands. Anybody juggle? My son is saying he can juggle. I know that's not true. <laughs> you guys can really juggle? I almost brought some tennis balls and had somebody do it. But um, I'm, I've learned to juggle. I'm really bad at it. And I can only do it for about three seconds. But, uh, but we know what, we know what the, the, the tension and the stress of juggling church life, stuff here at church, of juggling your kids' schedules, of juggling your work, of juggling your free time, your hobbies, housework has to get done, you got to cut the yard. All of these things are like balls that we have to juggle. And boy, it gets tiring, doesn't it? You guys all understand that, especially you adults out there. You understand that it's tough. And when that happens, when we get exhausted or when a new ball is introduced, you ever had that happen, something else, and you're like, how am I going to do that now? Something usually has to drop, right? Because you, even the best jugglers can only juggle so many things. Church is one of the first balls that gets dropped. It, it, it just is. In, in our culture, 
That's just how it goes. We get so overwhelmed with doing our work, taking our kids to their games, finishing projects around the house, making sure all of the ends get met, that there isn't just enough time in the day. And so we drop church activities. I would like to suggest a better way this morning. So if we got the idea of someone juggling stuff in our heads, let's, let's flip that and let's think of a wheel instead. Maybe you've heard this before, but let's think of a wheel instead. Instead of juggling where everything is, you know, going up and around, a wheel has something that ties it all together, doesn't it? What's in the very middle? A hub. The wheel has a hub. And I would suggest that your walk with Christ and your relationship with the church sits in that hub. And everything else is a spoke that comes off of there. And your relationships with friends come out of there. Your leisure time comes out of there is another spoke. Your finances and how you spend your money is another spoke and so on and so forth. This, I think, is a better picture of what our lives should look like as believing Christians. Uh, the reality is, and why I suggest this, is that you can't separate Jesus out of your Christianity, can you? You can't say, well, I'm a Christian and have no regard for relationship with Christ. Brothers and sisters, what did Christ die to do? To redeem us from sin and to build us into a group of people, Jews, Gentiles, all for the praise of his glory. To speak the truth to the nations. Matthew 28 that we just looked at a few weeks ago. Jesus died for the church to present her as perfect and spotless. If Jesus died for the church... You can't separate Jesus out of your Christianity any more than you can separate yourself out of the church. And so if that's true, then the church needs to be the center of the hub of our lives. And everything else spokes out all of that. Because as a Christian, it's all directed by Jesus Christ anyway. Your identity is wrapped up in Him, in Jesus Himself. Galatians 2.20 tells us this. And so if we apply it to the church, it looks the same way. Your identity is in Christ, and it's also wrapped up in the church. Romans 12.5 tells us this. You can't drop your identity with Christ any more than you can drop your identity with the church. They're wrapped up together. Together. Look, I know, I know right now this is sort of uncomfortable because we think... What does this mean? Does this mean I can never miss church? Well, if, if the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, I, I don't want you to ignore that. But I want to be clear, church attendance alone does not and cannot save anybody. It doesn't. So I want to be clear in that. In Matthew 7, we know this because Jesus starts talking about all these people that say, well, Lord, I did these things in your name. And he answers and says, I, I don't know you. Depart from me. It's possible to be around and to know all of the churchy stuff and still have our hearts far from God. So it's not just about that. It's about more than putting on church clothes and going and sitting in a seat for a couple hours a week. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, the thoughts and intentions of our heart play a huge role in all of this. Jesus condemned all through the book of Matthew, if you remember as we took a while to go through that, 
all through the book of Matthew, he's condemning the, the Pharisaic leaders of Israel for not really believing what they're doing. For having this ritualistic and heartless worship instead of being truly devoted to God. Remember he called them snakes. He called them whitewashed tombs, dead men, people with dead bones inside. Like these are not good things. And so obviously just ritualistically coming and doing the church thing every Sunday is not what God has in mind for you as a Christian. So that leads us maybe to this feeling. Maybe you've felt this before. I have. It points in my walk with Christ. And it's this. If I go to church every week and I'm not really excited about going there, isn't this just a fake facade? And isn't it just heartless worship that's going to turn into legalism at one day? Maybe you've thought that before. So then the tendency in that thought process is to not care so much about regularity in our church attendance because we've just convinced ourselves that we're guarding against legalism. Well, I don't want to be that way, so I don't need to be there every week. In addition, we can begin to think that missing church is actually a right that we have as a Christian under the idea of Christian liberty, Christian freedom. Well, I'm free in Christ. I don't need to be here every week. Can I just encourage you and challenge you, brothers and sisters, to fight against those deceptive thought processes? Those are not from the Lord. The Bible does not speak in those kinds of terms. I want to say this, and I wrestled with this statement personally, but I think it's true. I don't want us to hear it. Consistent participation in the body of Christ is not legalism. But on the flip side... Making a habit of missing church is not Christian freedom. Consistently going, even when it's hard. And if you've got little kids, it's hard. Going to church when it's hard is not legalism. But also staying away because, well, I'm free in Christ. I don't have to be there. That's not, your, that's not freedom in Christ. That's taking license with what God has said. And I think the, the difference is the difference between duty, what we have to do, and delight, what we get to do. If you've got kids, you know the difference to this. Because when we ask them to do something, it's, they say, oh, do I have to? And what do we say as parents? No, you get to, right? Now that may not change their demeanor much, but that's the difference here. It's the difference between duty and delight is getting together as a gathered church a delight to you. Are you energized by being around other Christians and hearing what God is doing in their life and being able to share what God is doing in yours? Do you find pleasure in being challenged by the Word of God preached in our Sunday schools, in our church service? Are these things delightful to you? Or is church just simply participation in a ritualistic thing because it's something you know you have to do. Legalism would say, you can't miss church because God will be mad at you and your Christianity could be revoked. Right? That's legalism. But Christian freedom says, not, well, I'm free to stay away as long as I want. Christian freedom, I believe, is to say, well, yeah, you might miss Look around. There are families that aren't here today. They're going to hear this online and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, he was talking to me. I wasn't there that day. 
it's, it's Christian freedom is not, well, I can miss as much as I want, but I think it can say, well, we're on vacation this week, so we're going to find another body to worship with while we're gone, or we're going to take a week off and just reflect on God and our family. But it's the soonest that we can get back with our church, we're going to jump back in and participate because we know it's good for us. And next week, we're going to look at the idea of how it's not only good for us, but it's good for one another too. So I I hope not to come across as condemning for those of you who aren't here this morning or for those who who have missed recently or or will miss in the next week. Some of you have vacations planned for next week and you're like, oh man, we can't go now. This is not a condemnation on that, okay? Um, this This is an encouragement to understand God's best for you in the church and to not make a habit out of missing. Uh, and I should note, I wrestle with these things too. So if you only heard this from a guy whose, whose salary is paid out of the offering that comes when we gather together, I want to make sure that that's not all you hear this morning. Okay. So, so we're in Ephesians two, just look over to the next chapter, Ephesians three verses eight, nine, and 10. We're looking at one of the original church planters, right? Paul is writing this, inspired by the Spirit himself. Remember 2 Timothy 3, all of these things are inspired by God, breathed out by him, and are profitable for the maturity of believers. And this is what Paul says, chapter 3, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Did you catch the purpose of the church in that verse? God's big plan for the church there? God intends his wisdom to be displayed through the church. And brothers and sisters, if you're saved, you're a part of it already. God has involved you and included you in this process. Man, what what a mystery. What an unusual thing. And I say it's unusual from my limited human perspective for this reason. Kids, this is what you were asked to listen for. God's plan to display His glory to the physical and spiritual realms, to everything that's been created, God's plan to reveal His glory to all of them hinges on using broken and sinful people just like you and me. Surely, there could have been a better way than this, right? In my mind, I'm thinking, God, surely there's a more consistent, reliable method for displaying your glory to every to all of creation. And yet, he says, no. It's through the church. It's through the, the group, the gathering of broken and needy and messed up people that I'm going to do this. I, I get it, brothers and sisters. It's tempting when you sometimes look around in our community, in our churches, in our nation, it's tempting to just want to like give up 
on the church altogether. There's abuse that's running rampant that's in the news now, and I'm thankful that it's being uncovered. I'm happy that light is being shed on the abuse within churches. It's easy to look around and see people who are messed up and who aren't consistent and who say they love God on Sunday and then you hear them in Walmart a couple days later screaming at their kids, right? Like, man, I go to church with that person? It could be me. I'm sorry. (laughs) You don't have to look very far to find people like that in the church. And it doesn't matter if you are looking in Ramsey Creek or any other church in our community or any other church in the world. You're going to see people with hypocrisy that defines them because they're sinners just like you and just like me. But God, in His sovereign design, wants to use this motley group of people to accomplish His purpose, doesn't He? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I think there should be a better way. And yet, in God's view of his bride, of the church, it's perfect. It's spotless. It's without blemish. It's without wrinkle. But the earthly view, when I look, when you look, when other people look at the church, I mean, it's full of warts and pimples and all kinds of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like It's, it's not perfect yet. In God's sight, man, he, he loves the church, the gathered church. He loves the church. It's perfect. But when we look at it, eh, not quite so much. I've heard this said before. I don't remember who said it. I'll change it into the collective terminology. We're not who we should be, but praise God, we're also not who we were. The last thing on your notes is a quote. I want to read that together. It says this, although a person can initially come to God without the church, no one can stay with God while rejecting the church. To come to Christ is to love his very messy and not yet glorified bride. You can, you can be saved anywhere by yourself, reading scripture out in nature, seeing the glory of God. And yet God has saved you out of individualism out of your sinful life, and into a group. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's our job as believers, as part of the church, to go out to Christians who have the wrong understanding of what it means to be a part of the church and communicate them the truth of God's Word. Right here, Ephesians 3. It's, it's God's display of His glory. It's a mystery, but this is how it happens, brothers, sisters. Come on. Join us in displaying God's glory to the world. Identify with a group of believers. We don't have it all together, though. I think, I think everybody here gets that. Because I think everybody here is self-aware enough to realize that they don't have it all together. But if you're expecting the church to have it all together, you're going to be disappointed. I hope, though, this morning that it's our desire, collectively, together, as a church, to continue to submit to the authority of the Word of God, and if it is, then it's the Word of God that directs us, not, not a pastor, not a teacher, not a, another book. It's the Word of God. And so we're joining together in praying and hoping and seeing that come about. And guys, this is why we need the church. This is why we need one another. 
Because when my vision gets narrow, and this happens, you know it. It happens with you and you've seen it happen with other people. When my vision gets narrow and I think that things can only happen my way, I need the church. And you need the church when you get thinking that way too. And that's why we need one another. That's why there's life in this place because we're an organism, not an organization. So I I pray and hope that we've seen why we need the church to be together. So let me just say this as we close. If you've been away for too long, if maybe, maybe you've been gone and this is your first week back in a long time, or maybe you've never officially joined with Ramsey Creek as a church member and you feel like the Spirit is saying, hey, be done with this solo Christianity thing. You need encouragement in the body. You need accountability in the body. Come and talk with myself or Jason or one of our elders or deacons And we'll talk with you more about what it means to become a church member. It's possible that you may not know the love and care of a church family because you don't know the love and care of a father, of the heavenly father. The church family is a great place to see that lived out. And so if you don't know that kind of a love, I would love to talk with you about it. Because only Jesus places people into his family. I don't do that. Parents, you don't do that with your kids. You're probably aware of that. Only the one who saves can put people into his family. The wonderful thing about it, the family of God, is that it's always expanding. The moment someone puts their faith and trust in Christ, the family gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger a little bit bigger. It's always welcoming brothers and sisters who gives their lives in surrender to him. And if you've never done that, we'd love for you to do that today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your family. I've been a pastor of Ramsey Creek for a long time, and I have a lot of family here. And so, God, I pray that our heart for one another of being together, of what it looks like to love you together, to serve you together, to worship together. I I pray that that is stirred in our hearts so much that we are compelled week by week to come and to join the gathered church. Lord, not out of a, a duty that we have to do, Lord, but out of delight that we get to come to church, that we get to worship Jesus. And Lord, not only do we get to do those things, we get to do them together. And so Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged today to be consistent and and not to let legalism take over, but not also to, to not let license take over and just to think we can be whatever we want. Lord, help us to be conformed into the image of Christ. Thank you for adopting us into your family. And as your people, now we stand and sing your praises together. Amen.